Yo, what's up, Bay Area? You sitting here with Picasso of the Living Legends crew. Yo, what's up? This is Cut Chemist, straight out of Los Angeles. Yo, what up? It's your girl, DJ Bex. I represent from Oakland all day, every day, man. This is Lyrics Born. I'm saying this to Berkeley. I'm saying this to Oakland. I'm saying this to San Francisco. The whole gay area in Northern California. You're checking out Hard Knock Radio. Oh. Peace and love, peace and light, peace out the revolution. This is Erica Badu, and you're listening to People Station. Y'all, we in the Bay area and we putting it down we're conscious we have our incense lit and we got our candles burning and they don't go out by night already this is harry belafonte on hard knock radio if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant in a department store at a gasoline station you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome. Trump is the one who's creating lies, uh, trying to have people believe that I talked about harming people. There's nowhere in my statement, any time, any place, that we talked about harm. Davey D, Hard Knock Radio, hanging out with you this afternoon. One of the people that's in the news is Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Um, she's been on the receiving end of a lot of controversy. Um, primarily because she uh, raised the issue and said, you know what, we don't need to necessarily be civil when dealing with folks who are openly racist, openly misogynistic, uh, openly uh, xenophobic. Uh, but she's been on the receiving end of death threats as a result of saying that. One of the ways in which the angst against Maxine Waters has shown up is with the San Bernardino County District Attorney who is putting a number of uh, threats and racist <coughs> remarks on his social media posts about Maxine Waters, um, which raises a lot of questions and concerns. Um, this is a former, or actually a current, gang uh, district attorney, and we wanted to find out how folks were dealing with that. Joining us on the phone line um, is uh, Matthew Young. He is with the Inland Empire Black Lives Matter chapter. Welcome to the show, Matt. And What's going on? Thanks for having me. Thank you. What do we need to know about this situation in San Bernardino County and these threats and racist remarks that are being made towards Maxine Waters by a sitting district attorney? Well, one major thing you need to know about San Bernardino uh, as a city is that it has the highest rate of um, police killings among black people. Um, obviously, it doesn't get as much publicity because it's a smaller, uh, smaller city and a smaller area. Um, the other thing you need to know is that this isn't necessarily new, right? He's been on the internet saying all kinds of way out stuff. Let, first of all, let me just let, let's just get his name out there. It's Michael Selim. If did I pronounce his yeah. name correct? Michael Selim. I don't care, but <laughs> it looked like Michael. It looks like it's Michael Selim. <laughs> But go go ahead, continue. I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. Oh no. Um. So it's been it's been multiple posts and him in comment threads making very bigoted remarks and and opinions and um <clears throat> about black people in general, black people in power, specifically Michelle Obama, um, the Mexican population in general. Uh, I know he had he had one post that was just like. 
it was just blatant racism. They said, no, I had no problem with a white person coming to this country legally and establishing a business. I have a problem with these people that are terrorists and want to kill me and my family and et cetera like that. Like just assuming that every Mexican that crosses the border is here for violence, which is we know is not to be true. In Southern California, and I'm sure y'all know up in the Bay, like when they come over here, they want opportunity, they want work, they want, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not over here on some conspiracy takeover type. Like what are you talking about? Like you making blanket statements on a public platform and you're in a position of power and you're just saying things like that? Like that's... Yeah, for people... I mean, anybody justify that. Yeah, just so people know, this is uh, the remarks that he said regarding Maxine Waters. He said... Being uh, loud-mouthed, loud-mouthed, and he used the, the C word um, in the ghetto, you would think that somebody mm-hmm. would have shot this B word by now. So he's advocating for her to be shot. Um, the question that I would ask is San Bernardino County um, seems like one of those places where folks in Los Angeles are being displaced too, the way that here in the Bay uh, folks from Oakland and San Francisco have been displaced to Antioch, so to speak, you know, and Fairfield and those places, um, which means that there's, there's a larger black and brown population. How did this guy manage to stay in office? What's going on with him being in this position and what's being done now with these remarks? I mean, I guess I guess you would have to say access to publicity. So... <clears throat> Yes, it's a place where black folks in L.A. were displaced. That was this place in San Bernardino in the 80s, and then in the 90s was well, San Bernardino in, in, in Palmdale, Lancaster in the 80s. The 90s, it was Reno Valley, Riverside, Paris, right? And uh, where's everybody going now? Um, Victor Valley. Um, but what, what happens is when, when you're poor, you don't even have access to this stuff. I guarantee you I could go talk to 10 people in San Bernardino. I live in San Bernardino County. I can go talk to 10 people right now and they will have no idea what I'm talking about or who I'm talking about because they, they don't have, I guess, the resources needed to even know about this stuff. See what I'm saying? Like that's how, that's how a lot of our people end up remaining uneducated. Cause when you bring this to them, it's like, Oh, whoa, how do we get them out of here? How do we find ways to vote? What can we do? This, that, and the third. I can't really tell you a specific reason how this man is, is, is still in, you know what I'm saying, still in office or in the position of power, I can tell you after this, he probably won't be for long. For long, He's had to delete his, his social medias and whatnot. But, I mean, you know how that goes. It's hard to, to, to blackball somebody from an oppressed state. You know what I'm saying? Like, at the, at the end of the day, his privilege, his white privilege, his male white privilege, is going to allow him to probably get a job somewhere else as a DA, just like these cops that, you know what I'm saying, shoot black people and just get a job somewhere else. Well, the, you know, one of the things that concerns me, and we're talking with Matthew Young out of San Bernardino uh, about the recent remarks from the district attorney. His name is Matt. Um, his name is, uh, well, um, gosh, I'm getting Michael his, Sellum. Michael Sellum. Thank you. Um, it was just maybe a year ago that Donald Trump raised the issue that a Mexican judge um, <clears throat> could not sit on the court and be uh, unbiased if it came to issues of immigration, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Here you have a prosecutor who's advocating for a sitting congresswoman to be shot, who is making racist remarks about Latinos, saying that, you know, that he, that, that he fears that they're going to kill his family, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, how can he be a prosecutor holding those the, the, that type of ideology? One would think that there would be a bar uh, that would disbar him, you know, an organization that would disbar him, <clears throat> that he would be censored, that maybe the current attorney general uh, would say something, or even the governor. I mean, but it seems like there's silence around him and his so, existence. So what they give as an excuse is, as long as it doesn't um, affect his judgment at work, he can say whatever he wants to. Which it would, if these are your opinions, just like you said, how you brought up how Trump said that, that uh, the Mexican judge couldn't be unbiased on terms of immigration, right? How can somebody this racist be unbiased when you're running a gang task unit in a black and brown community to these black and brown people that you clearly um, have, have disdain zero for? Zero love for, right? So <laughs> that whole. I mean, it, it, it's, it's the American justice system. It, it's run on racism. They're going to they're gonna protect their own until we, you know what I'm saying, figure out how to get them out of there, rearrange, and force their hand. That's what it comes down to. That's why we out here working. That's why you putting in the work that you put in with a radio show. That's why we out here doing, you know what I'm saying, what we can. Matthew, do, you know, is it surprising that we're in a blue state of California, which is often targeted, you know, by the far right as a place that is way too liberal, it's a sanctuary state, it's all these labels that are put on um, this great state that we live in that leave people with the impression that such things would not happen. But here we are in a democratic state, blue up and down, yet we have people who are in office who behave and act this way with very little opposition. Our state is barely democratic. I can speak for San Bernardino County, Riverside County, is saying that um, when election results came out, I think it was like Hillary only won like 46 to 44 percent in both of those counties. So what happens in California, like California only sees <clears throat> liberals because that's what is more vocalized than the racism in California. Like when you were in places like the South and the Midwest. The racism is more overt. In California, it's more covert. Mm. You know what I mean? You have people who are <clears throat> socially trained to be racist to the point where they don't realize what they're doing is racist, and a lot of the stuff that they think is liberal or democratic is still racist. That's real talk there. So it's that benign neglect, so to speak. Like, I didn't do nothing wrong. What's wrong with, you know, calling people wetbacks and niggas and, you know, or using the language that he did to describe Maxine Waters? You know, those type of epithets, he sees nothing wrong. And, you know, I, I guess I'm just more shocked that we haven't heard from our current attorney general, who is Mexican-American. We haven't heard from the governor and others to censor him. Yet, and still, you being a member of Black Lives Matter. You know, if you were to get on a platform or even on his radio show and say something, you would be in headlines. You know, um, right. they would be condemning you left and right. They would be calling for investigations, all that sort of stuff. And we've seen that with some of your colleagues in Southern California um, who right. have spoken out and, and they've, you know, no stone was left unturned. Um, right. Yet you can have a sitting DA say these things <laughs> and... You, well, I mean, Maxine Waters said we don't need to be civil, and she's under investigation. He says that she should be shot in his silence. 
They have, I think they have like a some small term of an investigation going on, but the problem, the real problem is somebody had to dig and find this. You know what I'm saying? Like <clears throat> with us, it's just it, it gets put, it gets put out there no matter what. Somebody, the the whistleblower was somebody that used to work in that office, so they knew because this this was this was said, I believe, in in a in a social media post, and the other things were said in like comment sections. You know how many posts? I mean, I mean, how many comments are in these comment sections for political anything? You know what I'm saying? Like you sift through, you had to sift through a thousand tweets. You probably thought nobody was gonna see that. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And somebody did they, somebody did they do diligence after they had no reason to be silent anymore and said, "Hey, look, this was going on. <laughs> Y'all gonna have to do something about this, or else the people is gonna have a, a, a major issue." So shout out to whoever that person was. But that's the difference between, <clears throat> um, I guess what you would say, Maxine Waters' comments and, and, and his comments. Like, and hers, I completely stand behind them. We not shooting Maxine. <laughs> we, we, we not shooting Maxine for being loud. But you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know who. It's, people, it, it's just talking. Just way too much. Um, how do I want to put this? Just way too much freedom to say bigoted things and still keep your position of power. Like that's, that's the part that blows me away every time. Absolutely. Let me ask you this as we kind of close out, you know, you had mentioned at the start of the show, San Bernardino is the place where we find, you know, the highest percentage of black folks in California being shot and killed. You all are constantly on the ground. What, what, what what are y'all doing now? And, for people that are listening, what what would you ask them to do to help in the campaigns that you all are undertaking? I, I would honestly at this point say stay tuned. You know what I'm saying? Right now it, it's about it's about strategy. Right now it's about hey, spread the word, make sure everybody knows. Okay, and then when we come together with a plan or somebody comes up, you know what I'm saying, with an idea, whether it's us or somebody else, because I have no problem standing behind somebody else on my same cause. You feel me? I don't need we don't need credit. We're not here for credit. We're here to get the job done. So stay tuned. Educate the people around you. Make sure everybody knows, and and um, <clears throat> and then it comes to action. You got to be educated before you go into the action, right? Absolutely. Well, right. you know me, just listening and and seeing this, I would say people should be kicking up dust and asking why there isn't any condemnation from some of these high officials that are routinely oh, holding press conferences and what have you. Where are you? You know, they they are criticizing. The, the folks that are sitting in front of the ICE building that just got broken up in San Francisco, you know, uh-huh. talking about we need to follow the laws, but silent on this. And, and we need to know that name, Michael Sellum, and the remarks that he's making and the threats that he's issuing as a sitting district attorney and uh, make him pay. They should make him as well-known as Barbecue Becky. Right. I mean, the, easy, <laughs> the, easiest, the easiest thing to do right now, like I said, is to spread the word and then make phone calls. Call, call everybody's office demanding that, you know what I'm saying, he be fired. It's that simple. I mean, we'll be posting numbers soon um, once we get them all together as far as, like, who's in positions of power to get this job done and blow up their phone line. You can do it from, you know what I'm saying, at least 50. Get on, get on their nerves until they have to push them out. Real talk there. Um, Matthew Young, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. We're going to take a break on Hard Knock Radio. We'll be right, right back. Thank you, Rabbit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Karis One coming through. Big Zach. Last Emperor. Ha <laughs> ha. 
That's the sound of EMS. <laughs> Last Emperor KRS. <laughs> Big Zach, you know the rest. Now we're gonna come down like this now. Hold tight, all crew. Listen. This voice shatters the calm of the day like an alarm. So wake up, batter you, and take up arms. Cause more is necessary than vocabulary war. Cause a toxic rock imports hitting on your door. CIA, I see you later. Cause your time is coming soon. I flip the Chino and it's your dog day afternoons. Attica, Attica, drug agents, you bring your statica. My alphabet will slash that they can flip you. Automatica, dramatic, like Ali Shaheed Muhammad brought the vibes. I bring the sun at red dawn upon the thoughts of France Fanon. So stand in attention, devil dirge. You never survive choosing sides against the wretched of the earth. The infiltrator, child intoxicator, people incarcerator, liberation movement annihilator. We got you clock pushing rocks in the fair. We got brothers trooping subways like the whole team betrayal. We got the truth at it. Last emperor KRS in history manifesting. Jamal the next lesson. You claim I'm selling crack, but you be doing that. Capitalism and technology expands. The third world's fertile soil becomes a desert wasteland. So it takes fans to demand the government provide answers. When Lady Liberty has me bewitched like Samantha. And poverty is one of the most malignant forms of cancer. To all my black magic romancers and acid rain dancers. Develop close ties like Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza. We fear no man and throw jams that attack counterintelligence programs. Exciting like the epic adventures of Conan. I colonize minds like Zaire by the Belgians. Now what the hell is the problem with this system? And what it sells us. I bring ancient relics like Wyclef did the zealots. I saw an iron curtain called hip hop and got it open like Gordon Jelson. Whirlwind, tornadoes in the rainforest, if you say so. KRS in the last of a roar like the Green Hornet and Cato. Zach De La Roca brings the enraged flow. But all three drop science and become the most powerful alliance since NATO. You claim I'm selling crack, but you be doing that. You claim I'm selling crack, but you be doing that. You claim I'm selling crack, but you be doing that. You know the cops, they got a network for the toxic rock. You plan on selling crack, but you be doing that. So get that flashlight out of my face. You claim I'm selling crack, but you be doing that. The last emperor is one in Big Zack. Need I say the CIA be criminals in action? Cocaine crack unpacking, high surveillance tracking. Prominent blacks and whites giving orders for mass slaughters. I want all my daughters to be like Maxine Waters. I want all my daughters to be like Maxine Waters. I want all my daughters to be like Maxine Waters. When they flooded the streets with crack cocaine, I was like Noah. Now they lower, cause the whole Cold War is over. Communism fell to the dollars you were grabbing in. All the assault and battering in the name of intelligence gathering. Now it's karma you battling a loop. And fight. I choose the mic to recite, ignite light in the night. I we should beat him. President Clinton should delete him. It's not hard. The CIA simply has no more job. Oh my god, it's mother. You can fix this. We rock over mixes, not six, six, sixes. Yo, this is the message to all that can hear it. If you got secret information, now's the time to share it. Call your congresswoman, your senator, your mayor. It's time for all the scholars to unite with all the players. Rearrange and see times are definitely changing, G. They used to tap the phone, now they tapping while you paging me, it's crazy B, yet it's plain to see who the enemy, who's left, the NRA, the ATF, the AMA, okay, okay, it's all irrelevant, cause in the new millennium, there'll be no central intelligence. Uh, yeah, uh. 
And when you start moving, hip-hop is the most powerful movement in the world. It's in Japan, it's in Africa, it's in the Caribbean, it's in Europe. And when it becomes the political power that it can be, we are going to rock this nation. We're going to rock this nation. And let me tell you, in New York City, we are the new majority. 65% of New York City is people of color. It is time for us to take control over New York City. A lot of people said, well, why should you vote? You know, I'm not even talking about whether you should vote for a Democrat or a Republican or Kerry or Bush. You know what I think? I think we should fight for a new column in electoral politics called none of the above. None of the above. They should have Bush, Kerry, and none of the above. And if none of the above wins, let's do it all over until we get the right candidate. So I'm pushing for none of the above. And in this race, I'm certain none of the above would win. But we have to realize this too. We got to go back to our communities. And what we should do is not let people scare us into voting for one over the other. We don't want to vote for evil anymore, lesser or more. We don't want to vote for evil anymore. But what we should do, instead of talking about Bush right now, and yes, he's got to go, but the Democrats are having a convention in July, and unless they embrace the hip-hop national agenda, then we should hold our vote until they embrace your agenda. Embrace your agenda. Embrace your agenda. We're tired of talking about, Kerry's talking about state of course. Free trade instead of fair trade. Tired of talking to them about reparations is divisive. Affirmative action don't end and mend it. We're tired of that kind of talk. This is what's coming out of the Democratic Party. Tired of them saying that we want to build more prisons and less schools. We're tired of that kind of talk. So we should tell them, unless you pay us our reparations, unless you for immigrants coming in and getting their citizenship like everybody else, when the whites immigrants came, they got their citizenship. When people of color cross the border, give them their citizenship too. Give them their citizenship too. And unless they're talking about freeing our political prisoners, let's hold our vote. Don't let anybody come before you. And remember this, electoral politics is just a tactic. It's not a panacea. It's not going to bring us to the promised land. But don't let nobody tell you it doesn't matter. Some people come up and say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not voting. I'm not getting into that. But let me tell you something. The air you breathe, whether it's going to be polluted because of environmental racism and put an incinerator or a sewage plant in your district, it is a political decision. Whether they're going to pick your garbage up once a week or twice a week is a political decision. Whether they close your daycare centers, close your after-school programs, don't hire your children with your money is a political decision. And unless you're going to go and bust out them brothers and sisters out of jail with your weapons, which you're not going to do, it's going to be a political decision. And unless you, 
unless you decide to stick up the American Treasury and say, give me my reparations, which you're not going to do. It's going to be a political decision. So let's take over American politics, bring back power to the people, and let them know that New York, Chicago, Florida, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Ohio, D.C., California belongs to us. Power to the people. KVD, Hard Knock Radio, hanging out with you this afternoon. A lot of people are talking about the upcoming midterm elections. There's a lot of speculation as to what will unfold in the November contest. Um, there's been a lot of hope because folks are seeing some very progressive candidates, especially with the sister, the Puerto Rican sister out of my hometown, the Bronx. Um, I'm going to remember her name in a minute. I'm not going to butcher it, but, you know, seems to be doing pretty well. And we've seen a number of victories around the country. But what is taking place is discussions. And those discussions aren't all favorable. A lot of questions are being asked and a lot of concern is being expressed that the Democratic Party is back to its old tactics. And part of those tactics include ignoring a base that is rapidly growing and becoming more and more progressive, um, trying to go to the center, chase after, you know, middle, uh, middle, uh, what, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? White working class workers who have been silently behind uh, Donald Trump. All these things that got us here in the first place. And I wanted to talk to Biko Baker. You may know him. He's no stranger to our show. We often uh, know him for the work that he did with the League of Young Voters, the League of Pissed Off Voters. He's in a battleground state, Wisconsin. He's in Milwaukee, and he's run a number of successful campaigns with record numbers of turnouts. And over the years, Biko has expressed how folks have ignored his wisdom and his track record. And so I want to find out how things are shaping up, especially in a battleground state like Wisconsin. So welcome to the show, Biko, and how you doing? I'm doing well, David D. Thanks for having me on. And once again, I appreciate it. Where are we off in this conversation um, right now? Where where does this conversation stand, especially in a state like yours, in terms of are folks progressing? Have the Democratic Party in particular moved in a direction to your satisfaction? Or are we headed down the same path? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, unfortunately, there's been a lot of unwinding of the progressive games that have taken place through grassroots organizing over the years. Davey, you know, you and I first linked up in uh, 2003 and 2004 with the National Hip Hop Political Convention. And over a period of, you know, 10 to 14 years, what you saw was just the growth of grassroots connected, politic, you know, community driven uh, electoral politics and civic engagement. And happened between 2012 and 2016 uh for those of us who operated close to the progressive machine in dc we, we saw just a complete divestment of the organizations that had been lifted up to do the work and you know that that void hasn't been filled in fact i think what's happened is in a sort of reactive moment you've seen democratic progressive-minded organizations trying to respond to this moment by, as you said, focusing on parts of their base that, you know, don't exist 
And I think that that's been unfortunate because it's it's such a huge moment for the country to take a huge leap because we finally are seeing the browning of America and the, the more progressive thinking minded young white women stepping to the forefront. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure if that's going to ever happen inside the progressive party. I mean, in the Democratic Party, and I think it's going to be up to you know organizations like the the National Hip Hop Political Convention. Uh, and the League of Young Voters back in the day, we're going to need those types of organizations to step up once again. Because we can't ignore uh, electoral politics. And and even though we had some progressive gains and races in Alabama, the Bronx, some good stuff coming out of Virginia, we also saw that in California, turnout was hella low. Hella low. I don't even have to give a statistic because everybody understands what hella low means. Let me ask you this. For people who aren't there, let's share kind of this scenario. You're heading up these voter campaigns in Wisconsin, and if I recall correctly, um, we have this this Scott Walker uh, contest uh, where he is smashing on unions, he's uh, decimating public sector unions, and the country's focus is on Wisconsin, and there's an effort um, to recall this governor around that. Um, you got a whopping 80% of black voters to step out. Eligible folks, uh, people who are registered, 80% of them to vote in Milwaukee, yet that, that election was lost because, you know, you said there were like 40% of the households who were white and part of unions went the other way. That seems to be a typical type of scenario. Can we talk a little bit about that in What's it going to take or to, to get people to, to really line behind us? Or do we have to just write into the equation that you're going to have strong anti-black sentiments no matter what? What the party or, or political affiliation? Yeah, I mean, uh, man, thanks for reminding me of that painful history. I mean, uh, 2012, between 2010 and 2012 in Wisconsin, we sort of were on the foresight of, you know, just the uh, ultra-right and austerity politics stepping to the forefront once again in America. And we saw the rising of Scott Walker, who was Milwaukee County, you know, executive, becoming the governor. And a guy that represents a, a Milwaukee constituency using Milwaukee as sort of uh, red red meat for people outside the state. And so what, what ended up happening is that uh, voters split around racial and uh, sort of like value-based uh, issues and uh, working class white people started, you know, in a state that was ho- pretty much the almost labor movement started turning their back on their working class institutions. And uh, that was just done through framing and messaging and over years eroding uh, the progressive movement's trust with the voting base. And, you know, for us here in, in Wisconsin, it was it was interesting because we saw the, the the Democratic Party continue to run a guy, the mayor of Milwaukee, who is sort of more of a centrist leading person uh, to the forefront, even when they had women candidates who could have stepped out and, and I thought been competitive against Walker. Uh, and, and if not be competitive, at least try to pull some of the, the voting share away from the, the, the Republican base here. And they just kept going with the same strategy. And, you know, sometimes I think about this as, like, we think about this as racism. Like, 
of the people running the Democratic Party are don't like black people. But I don't think it's that deep sometimes. Sometimes I think it's just like these people have a reign of power and they have like a, a, a fiefdom and they have like a clique and a, a group of people they have to take care of. And so there's this political battle for the political economy and the, the economic resources on the left. And people just go with what they know. And just like business, corporate America, that businesses who don't adapt and change the Browning constituencies. The Democratic Party in places like Wisconsin just continue to hold fast to their old, their old strategies. And even though we were able to show black people could vote, they didn't take advantage of the, 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 the progressive nature of young white people in the state and young white women. So, man, what? They just got their butts kicked over and over again. Very sad. But, you know, I think it's important to note that while the league was doing this, we also were fighting in places like Pennsylvania. We, we took on a, a legal case in Texas that ended up hitting federal courts around voter ID in, in Texas. And we, we were on the ground doing trick-or-vote parties in Atlanta, you know, seven, eight years ago, setting up the stage for Ms. Abrams, who's from Wisconsin. So, you know, even though we were fighting here, we also were on the front end of a lot of other fights where we were learning and figuring out how to, to win. Absolutely. I mean, the league has always been good in, in doing that. Um, the League of Pissed Off Voters, the League of Young Voters. Let me ask you this. Um, you talked about there being a fiefdom, so to speak, and, and I guess the way that that could be framed is um, you never see the moves that need to be made because those in power serve two masters. <laughs> you know, uh you know, they, they, the master may be Wall Street, the master may be resources that come from the Democratic Party, which is centrist, the master may be, you know, any other number of things. But what we do find in common is that there's this young group of people that have now gotten a little older and a little wiser, um, that are the majority of the country who are basically either one taken for granted or put into a scenario where they're basically told, well, who else are you going to vote for? You're going to vote for Trump or you're going to vote for the Hillary middle-of-the-road hawkish type of candidate? And I think there's an underestimation that some people, especially if they're white, may actually sit out as they did in 2016, and they may do so moving forward. So with that being said, if you have the magic wand and you have the purse strings, how do you change what is going on today, uh, Biko Baker? And are are there people like yourselves who are in position to, you know, trudge ahead in spite of the Democratic machine? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one time uh, when I uh, started doing organizing, I was also a student, grad student. I was working with civil rights leader Reverend James Lawson as an archivist. And I came back and uh, after going to lead and told him it was, you know, how great of a job we were doing. You you went he in and out. If you could just repeat that, you 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 went in and out. If you could just repeat what you said, you you were working with James Lawson, civil rights leader. Yeah, I was working as an archivist for uh, a year or two in L.A. And then after working with the league for a year or so, I went back and. The handwork with this organization, we're getting out voters. And he was like, as long as you're doing what the Democratic Party is, it's never going to amount to anything, basically. And, you know, here's a, here's one of the leading strategists of the civil rights movement sharing some wisdom with me when I was, was super young. 
And I, I'm not sure that the, the Democratic Party is the institution in which we should be hoping and building all our hopes and dreams. And I think that the digital landscape provides us with a, a really great opportunity to communicate to our voters in a way that is direct and, and to the point. And I feel like the left needs to be on people such as yourself who reach people and educate them about if, the difference. If, if you could just repeat Honestly. that last part, you went in and out again. I know your phone yeah, is kind of cracking a little. Just that last part, the, the digital left. Yeah, I just think we need I, we need to invest in the digital left. People like yourselves, you know, who have real constituencies and are talking to folks. The, the, the Democratic Party made its gains by knocking on people's doors and every day you're talking to them online and, and giving them the issues and I feel like that's what the right has done. They, they've, they've empowered their cultural warriors. And I feel like we have to do that on the left. I don't necessarily think that that's going to come from the party, but I do feel like given the changes in campaign finance laws that you know there are progressive institutions and organizations that can and even corporations that can can take a, a beat on and push the Democratic Party to be competitive. Let me ask you this, Biko. Do we underestimate the vitriol that voters have towards black and brown folks? And it seems like a simple question, but I ask that in all seriousness. Um, you know, when we were out here in 2016... And seeing the enthusiasm and seeing the energy um, and just the determination that people had around Trump when he was talking about building a wall was frightening because, I mean, folks were like, yo, he's going to build a wall? Word? Let's go. Let's go. And, you know, and they had like a conviction, like they're going to put this man in office if he's going to build that wall. And it just showed you, to me at least, you know, when I was inside that, that, that arena how powerful, you know, uh, the demonization of black and brown folks can be. Um, what's our counter to that? And do we underestimate just how motivated people um, can be if they feel like there's going to be black and brown people at the short end of the stick? All right. Well, I think that uh, right and the and Donald Trump is that they understand the, the value of niche marketing. And so they know how to reach their corporate. You, you're going in and out one more time. If you could just repeat that again. Sorry for the connection. Hey, folks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, they understand niche marketing. They understand the, the value of finding their niche market online and connecting, connecting them through the amplification of through social media. And so Trump is just hitting his core core making people feel like that's how the, the whole white America is feeling. When in fact, I mean, this is a good rebuttal to that. Hillary Clinton did get the majority of the vote, you know, the, the popular vote. But the same at the same time, people saying got kids saying or people saying build the wall wall turn on the Kendrick Lamar record or a J. Cole record and have way more white youth shouting that record word for word. Way more white youth than saying build the wall, build the wall. And so I think we just have to focus on what's valuable 
and powerful and innovative in this country. And if we can do that, we can get away from these trains that trigger, you know, you know, baby boomers, you know. And I feel like if we continue to play the game in which it's us versus them and this is the way that Donald Trump and the right has framed it, we're going to lose because they have control over the uh, the levers of power if we come with a more aspirational, uh, you know, vision in which we all together like we are on the internet, I feel like we can quickly reclaim power in, in places that we need to be. But I don't know. We oftentimes get... We oftentimes what? I missed that last part. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I sort of cut myself off. I'm saying you have more wisdom than I do. So I'm just going to throw it to you as a question. You know, I, I just feel like all of us on the left have gotten in the reactive mode. And what will it take for us to stop chasing the issue as opposed to defining the agenda? And once we start doing that, that's when I, I feel like we can change the narrative. But many cases, it goes to the yeah, I think you, you hit a good point, you know, as we get ready to close out, talking with Biko Baker out of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, chasing the issue is a very tempting thing because it leads to likes, it leads to page views, it leads to speaking engagements, it leads to you going viral online. And for some people, they can monetize that, and they're encouraged to monetize that, so whatever the issue is, is what you're going to find. And, of course, you get the reaction if you have a cute meme and you could say something in response to Donald Trump's tweet. But what's a little bit harder, and which I think you're getting at, is building your own narrative, is setting the, setting the tone for the conversation, setting the parameters for it. And I, and I think that's, man, that's going to be a hard nut to crack for a lot of people uh, because... You know, some people will be like, I'm not going to get paid if I don't, you know, go with the trends. You know, we're not going to be number one in our ratings if we don't go with the trends. So uh, I think that's the fork in the road. Hey, Biko, I know you got to go, but let me just ask you this. How do you think the midterms will come out, at least in Wisconsin? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I gotta, I'm going to be honest, I think it's up to the, the next six weeks. And I don't want to make any yeah, he was like going that. in and out. You said the next months. six weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with my phone. But I said I'm excited about what could happen over the next six weeks. And I don't. I can't make any predictions just because I feel like we have some great candidates here. And I feel like they're just starting to get traction. Unfortunately, a lot of the focus and investment that would happen in Wisconsin has dissipated. So people are just starting to just take stride. So let's talk after. And I can talk about November after the general on the 14th. We appreciate that. Biko Baker, thank you so much. Uh, we will be in touch, and we will look out for you and the work that you're doing out there in, in Wisconsin. On the move, this is Pam Africa on Hard Knock Radio, the station of resistance. Down with this rotten-ass system. Stay tuned to Hard Knock Radio. Yesterday, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez won a New York City Democratic congressional primary in a majority Latino district against the arrogant, right-wing, out-of-touch, white head of the Queens Democratic Party, who hadn't even seen a primary challenger since 2004. The white guy was so deep in the pocket of his corporate contributors that he was one of the few favored to succeed or oust Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi. 
That's how the two parties choose their leaders in every state legislature and in both houses of Congress. The leaders are the ones who bring in the most donations from wealthy corporations and individuals. Ocasio-Cortez campaigned on single-payer health care and free college tuition. She denounced the latest massacre in Gaza. She says ICE ought to be abolished, and the day before the election, she was at a South Texas immigrant detention center. She's a young, working-class Puerto Rican woman who reportedly refused corporate cash and was working on a real job waiting tables at the beginning of her campaign. She's a DSA member and professes to be a socialist, and now she's the Democratic nominee in the New York City Congressional District. What does it all mean? For a lot of people on the left, it's an occasion for celebration. I can understand that. I worked my behind off in campaigns against the Daily Machine in my native Chicago for a quarter century. We elected progressives to the city council, to county offices, the state legislature, to Congress, and in 83 and 87, the mayor's chair. I helped register hundreds of thousands of people to vote. I and the folks I worked with imagined that we could build a movement that might somehow transform the Democratic Party from below. It didn't work out so well. It turns out that both the elected officialdom and the Democratic Party are institutions, and institutions change individuals way more often than the other way around. Some of our folks backed away from their commitments little by little. Others frankly flipped. Some were isolated and outlasted until they could be outspent. Despite the phrase being on everybody's lips, we never figured out exactly how to hold anybody's feet to the fire, how to enforce any sort of accountability. We were, and we still are, at the literal whim and mercy of our candidates and our office holders. When Chewy Garcia ran for mayor of Chicago, he refused to stand up in front of the Holman Square black site and denounce the thing. He even called for the hiring of a thousand more Chicago cops, and his movement supporters were utterly unable to talk him into the first position or out of the second. Even the Greens are not immune to this phenomenon. When Jill Stein chose to back away from a 2016 ballot access drive in Georgia and North Carolina, there was nothing Greens in those states could do. Nothing. So exactly what does holding a candidate or an office holder accountable look like? Do any means currently exist which enable us to do that? Maybe not. Maybe this is something we've yet to build. Late last year, in a two-day movement school session in Jackson, Mississippi, Kali Okuno, the founder of Cooperation Jackson, observed that in Jackson, the movement forces proved they could elect Achokwe Lumumba, the father and the son, mayor. But several years and multiple elections into the project, they still didn't know what degree of support there is in Jackson, Mississippi, for their agenda of radical economic transformation. We figured out years ago how to win elections under the right circumstances. Ocasio-Cortez was a Puerto Rican woman running against a lazy white incumbent in a majority Latino New York City district, and she built a competent organization. It should have been surprising if she'd lost. Her expressed views on most issues are laudable. 
What we rarely bother to think about, though, is what we actually get when we win. When we're victorious in executive branch offices like mayoral elections, our candidates actually become responsible for administering the austerity and the cuts. That's what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi, and Newark, New Jersey, to name just a couple of places. We've been electing progressives here and there for a long time now. It's time to ask whether our ability to elect progressives has far outstripped our ability to exert real pressure upon them. Are we transforming the Democratic Party, or are we merely legitimizing it and launching yet another glittering career? Or maybe is the Democratic Party transforming us? I don't pretend to have the answers, but these are questions which need to be asked. For Black Agenda Report, I'm Bruce Dixon. Find us on the web at www.blackagendareport.com.
been Wendy, living with the lost boys you spent. Is a deckhand on the convoy, moves every night to prove we were something. Got confused if it was from a two that we were running. I've seen Gibraltar, I've seen the Taj Mahal. Soweto, Aya Sophia, Chef Shaolin paints the walls blue. I've played to full rooms, I've played the full two. Burning through the bottoms of a pair of new boots. Cut my hair, take my chest down. A woman on her own must be from out of town. Funny you don't know the concessions that you're making until you catalog them. And by then they're many and your battle hardened heat makes liquid of the asphalt. Keepsakes and parking tickets on the dashboard. I'm here to file my report as the vixen of the wolf pack. Till patient zero, he can have his rib back. Let's get this understood. It's only one reason why we here today. We 
trying to make real music so the people can relate. Learning from these hard knocks, slipping in these hard knocks, listening to hard knocks, questioning the forecast. Learning through these hard knocks, living for this hip hop, listening to hard knocks, ripping to the hard stop. Learning from the hard knocks, living in these hard knocks, listening to hard knocks, questioning the forecast. Learning through these hard knocks, living for this hip hop, listening to hard knocks, ripping to the hard KBOO Community Radio and the Jazz Society of Oregon are proud to present the 38th annual Cathedral Park Jazz Festival, July 20th, 21st, and 22nd at Cathedral Park in North Portland. New this year, KBOO will broadcast the Friday Night Blues starting at 5 p.m., and Saturday's live broadcast will begin at 2 p.m. That's the 38th annual Cathedral Park Jazz Festival, broadcasting Friday and Saturday, July 20th and 21st, here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. While in Atlanta, Danny Lyon joined the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and acted as staff photographer from 1962 to 1964. His first solo photography book, The Bike Riders, A Study of Outlaw Motorcyclists, was published in 1968. Following his publication of The Bike Riders, Lyon completed documentary work on the Texas prison system. Lyon's work is very personal.